We had many special guests at Spiritual Emphasis this year. One of them was Barry McGuire. Barry McGuire is the founder of McGuire's Car Products, and now he's part of Revival Outside the Walls. Listen in as he shares a powerful message at Spiritual Emphasis 2019. It is great to be here. Yes, we've been a part of Teen Challenge since 1970, and uh, we met David Wilkinson. And, and uh, in September 1970, by 19, by the by December that year, he invited us to go to Teen Challenge Brooklyn for the Christmas party. I didn't know what Teen Challenge was really, and Karen and I went, and for the first time, uh, we saw these amazing testimonies. We sat there stunned. We had no idea. Had been Christians all of our lives. Had no idea that transformation was even possible. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I used to think, just throw in jail and throw the key away, hopeless. As a Christian, I thought that. And then I saw this for myself. I said, sign me up. <laughs> and so uh, we support a lot of ministries, but Teen Challenge has our heart. And one of the biggest individuals in my entire life just walked in and joined my wife, Ron Brown. Can we give Ron Brown another big hug? And he is my hero. I have uh, heard these stories throughout the years, and every time I sit and listen to a student tell their story, I'm reminded of the scripture, but by the grace of God, there go I. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home. I have generations on both sides of my family going back. I have no excuse. You know what the miracle is? <laughs> the miracle is that I can be 75 years old and still have the fire. <laughs> That's the miracle. I mean, we got a church full of people that are just kind of going through the motions now. It's going through the motions. Don't let that happen to us, okay? Don't let it happen to you. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about how you keep from having that happen to you. Many of my heroes are Teen Challenge leaders, I got to tell you. And uh, the scripture about being debt to nobody uh, except the perpetual debt of love for those less fortunate. And every time I see somebody, they're, they're, they're just out of control and they're, they're the vileness or whatever, and I'm just broken. I don't, I don't fear them. I don't hate them. I, but by the grace of God, that could be me. How can I reach that person? That's what life's all about, my gracious sakes. My message this morning is follow the nudge, live in the fog. Follow the nudge, live in the fog. Okay, you ready for this? <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for Teen Challenge and the work all over the world, 1,500 centers. But for right now, we're focused on Southern California Teen Challenge, this precious ministry. And for the hundreds of thousands of those who've gone through it or serve, gone through Teen Challenge in Southern California are serving you boldly now. And we pray particularly for those in our midst right now. Every, every person here is a miracle, God. We thank you for their joy, and we thank you for their fire, and we thank you for their potential, where you're leading, what you have. You have plans for everybody here, Lord. Help them to, to uh, fulfill those plans in every way possible, exceedingly abundantly, more than they can even imagine, following your lead, God. That's what it's all about. Help us in these next few minutes to just talk about the staying power, the fire, how to be uh, at 75 years of age, be so in love with Jesus and making a difference and making it the most important thing in our Just as the songs we just sang, God, make it real in our lives until our last breath, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, well, <laughs> you 
You know, have you ever heard a Bible that's too valuable to write in is worthless? You ever heard that phrase? Well, you know, um, a message too valuable to take notes on is just as worthless. Just a, just a little thing for you. <laughs> Follow the nudge, live in the fog. It's 1976, and <clears throat> I was sharing my faith at every opportunity. It's a whole miracle how I got to do that. I don't have time to tell you about that, but I, I found the joy. I didn't have any joy, and then I found out you can have joy all the time. Your life stays alive if you're sharing your faith. And I got to the point where I thought that God was leading me into full-time ministry. So I closed the door of my office one day, and I, I prayed the most fervent prayer in my life. I said, God, I think you're leading me into full-time, quote-unquote, full-time ministry. And if I do that, my, my little family business, I'm the third generation leader of a family business. At the time, we were doing about a million dollars a year. Seems like a lot, but it's a pretty small business, about 12 employees, all family members. And I knew if I left, there was nobody else to lead the business. So this was kind of a big deal. But I said, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to honor you. I want to be where you want me to be. And if you, if you want me to go into full-time ministry, I... I I'll, I'll do it for sure, but I, I need to know for sure. And, I, and the exact words I used were, you're almost going to have to speak to me in an audible voice. Okay. About 20 minutes later, a guy walked into my office I'd never spoken to. My age, went to my church. He'd been at the pl on the platform a couple of times, so I knew he was a missionary kid from Africa. I'd never even exchanged a glance with him. He's walking in my office. He walks in, hi, Barry. I was in the area. thought I'd stop by. How's it going? And... Well, you know, I figured since he was a missionary kid, he probably wasn't into cool cars and shiny paint finishes. So I, I just started talking about him and sharing my faith with him, leading the Lord. He looks at me and he says, God's given you a wonderful ministry here, hasn't he? Well, wait a minute. Why, why would you say that? I mean, just think the prayer I just prayed, okay? Now, I'm thinking about overlapping. Certainly, over, my, my faith and sharing my faith overlapped into my business, but I never thought them being one. He says, look at it. The field you're reaching, a, a pastor can't reach, but as a businessman you can. It's obvious that your business is your pulpit. 1976. I said, you, it's unbelievable. I just prayed this prayer not 20 minutes ago. He says, that explains it. I said, it explains what? He says, I just dropped a missionary off at Orange County Airport. I was driving up Red Hill, which is the closest street to my office in Irvine, and uh, he said, God spoke to me. He said, go see Barry McGuire. <laughs> and I'd driven by your office. I saw the name on the building, and I knew you remember my church. But I said, God, I don't know this guy. I don't even know what kind of business it is. I'll just make a fool out of myself. I No. And he said, I argued with God all the way to your parking lot. I got out of my car. I'm still arguing. Say, God, this is ridiculous. I have nothing to say to this guy. I get to your lobby, and I said, God, I, I, he won't even be here. And if he's here, we'll be in a meeting. And he's before I know it, like two minutes, I'm, I'm coming up to your office. I'm walking up the stairs, and my heart is beating in my throat. I didn't know what to say, but how's it going? <laughs> That's a divine appointment. That's a, he followed the nudge. Hmm? Right? He was obedient, Right? He's being obedient. That's a, whole, that's a whole sermon itself about obedience, being obedient. What if he wasn't obedient? What if David McNutt had not been obedient that day? You know, I would have been a terrible pastor. I mean, just a terrible pastor. I'm not geared to be a pastor. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm a businessman, you know. 
And he confirmed that as a businessman. Wherever you go, wherever you go in your life going ahead, you're in full-time ministry. I'm going to tell you that over and over and over again. Life is ministry no matter where you are. If, you, if you're paid for it or you're just a layperson, but we're all in full-time ministry. And, and if we're obedient to the call, we're fine. He was obedient. We need to be obedient to that nudge, Okay. If we're not, what does it mean? If, if we don't follow it, you know, James, James 4, 7, he tells, if anyone knows the good they should do and doesn't do it, it's what? It's sin. This is serious. This is really serious. I just say, what if Dave hadn't done that? My goodness. So you know what I talk about, the nudge, right? No? Do you know what I'm talking about, following the nudge? You know what the nudge is. How often do you nudge? Oh, I should talk to, uh, I want that person, if I could pray for them. And we have all these excuses. Oh, they won't care. And they'll think I'm a fanatic. And, you know, and, and I don't have time. We got all these excuses. That's all they are is excuses. Fall in the nudge, you live in the fog. I got in a taxi in Detroit. And I was just going like a long block down, but it was seven degrees outside. I'm from California. It's too cold. So I, I got in a taxi and said, a short driver, I'll give you a big tip. He's, I don't want a tip. I said, excuse me? He's, I don't want a tip. Why don't you want a tip? So I'm a bad person. I don't deserve a tip. You know, we all find ourselves in odd situations. I mean, they happen all the time. Always know God's up to something. God's put you right there for a reason. And the Holy Spirit always gives all scripture. You know that. You guys know the scripture. It's fun talking to you because you know scripture. <laughs> I don't have to remind you what it is. The Holy Spirit gives you the spirit, gives you the words to say, right? So I said to him, you know, God loves you. He yells in the same loud voice, no. I said, yeah, he loves you. No. I said, sir, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm a Christian and I know the Bible and I can tell you. Absolutely, he loves you. Dead silence. I said, you know, it gets even better than that. Do you know he loves you as much as he's ever loved anybody ever? Dead silence. And then I woke out laughing. I said, you know what? It's even better than that. Do you know he loves you as much as he loves his own son, Jesus Christ? Doesn't say a word. Doesn't say a word. I get out of the taxi. It's freezing cold. He puts down the window. There's salt on the, on the glass. He looks at me. And they're just like, like I just slapped him with a two before or something. He doesn't know what to say, you know. I said, sir, um, God just put me in your taxi. He put me here because he wants you to know he loves you. And he has one desire for you, to spend eternity with him in heaven. He didn't, he didn't flinch. He just sitting there. He, he, it's, I could not have been more shocking to him. You know, then I give him a big tip. <laughs> and I said, uh, God bless you. Have a great day. And I walked away. Yes. <laughs> it's fun. It's not obligation. It's fun. Most of you are missing out. Most of you know only 1% of Christians are sharing their faith. They're, they don't really know what Christianity is about. This is the fun part of being a Christian, okay? And you're, 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 on, you're right there being teed up to do this for the rest of your lives, Okay. They follow the nudge, live in the fog. What do I mean about the fog? Well, I'm going to play with you a little bit this morning, okay? Uh, don't answer this question. No raise of hands. I don't want to embarrass you. How, how many of you are worrying about something right now? No, 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 no. I know it's all of you, but I just, I, <laughs> I, I try not to embarrass you, okay? I, I mean, we all have concerns. 
I'm concerned about this because I have lots of concerns in my life. But I'm talking about worrying so you know what I mean. It's it's interrupting your sleep pattern, it's interrupting your your eating, it's bothering you, it's your worrying, okay? How many of you are praying about what you're worrying about? <laughs> right? Of course you are. Of course you are. How many of you are still waiting on God to answer? <laughs> yeah. Or wondering if he'll ever answer. Hmm. Well, I, I got to tell you, that's where most of the church is today. Uh, do you know that the church, people in the church, are consuming the same amount of pills, antidepressants, anxiety, anxiety pills, as people outside the church? Do you know that? I mean, all the polls, you take it, divorce, you name it, across the board. It's the same in the church, outside the church. So we're a faithless church. We're, we have a form of godliness, but we're denying the power thereof in our own lives. Right? I mean, does, why would anybody want what we have? <laughs> our, our life bothers you. They should see God through me and want what I have. That's how I need to live my life. But that's not happening, folks. It's just not happening. And, and we wonder why people don't want to be Christians. I was at Dallas Airport, and if you've flown very much, you know, Dallas one of those airports, you get stuck a lot. And we just spent, uh, uh, had an 18-hour flight delay in another airport this week. Um, so we were stuck at this airport, and the flight was delayed a couple of hours. It was a hot day, and, and everybody's getting a little testy, you know. And finally, a plane pulled up to the gate, and finally the gal starts calling out names. I don't know, for a wait list or whatever, but she called. And she called out this one name, and she, she called it three times, okay? And a guy not far from me, I'm on the other side of the podium where she's at, and I'm over this huge crowd. And a guy over by me, he yells out, he says, Lady, we've been waiting two hours, okay? The guy's gone. Call out another name. And I looked at him, and he's, Red face, messed up hair. He's an army green T-shirt and shorts. He's sweaty. Not a happy camper. And I just knew. I just knew. I turned to people who traveled with me who were not sitting close to me. I said, that's my seatmate. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, I just, it just, I just knew it. So he gets on the plane first, and, and I get on the plane, I'm walking down the aisle, and I count the rows, and there's my seat, and uh, guess what? There he is. <laughs> now, you know, if you're, not, if you're not of this frame of mind, you might say, oh, God, really? After all I've been through today, the last thing I need to do is sit next to this guy. You know, I want to just sit and read my Bible or take a nap. No, I got this character. Recited. No, I just looked at it and said, wow. I broke out laughing. I said, God, I'm going in. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what I said, you know. I'm going in, so I, I, uh, <laughs> I stepped across. As I stepped across, he said, "Hi there, how's it going?" <laughs> he says, "It's not going good. I'm having a terrible day." I said, "Oh no, what's going wrong?" He said, "I just dropped my daughter off at college. She's my firstborn. I've never been away from her before. I'm a wreck." I said, "You know what? I had the same problem." He says, "What?" 
I said I took my firstborn to college. I couldn't speak for 10 hours after I took her to college. I, I broke into, every time I opened my mouth, I broke into tears. He said, you had the same experience. I said, yeah, isn't that interesting that he put me right beside somebody I had that experience with? He said, how'd you get through it? Well, obviously, I just started referencing scriptures and trust the Lord. I felt he was answering, he was, he was saying part of the, the last part of some of the scriptures. He was not, I know that scripture, that's good. I said, oh, you're a Christian. He said, well, my dad's a, a Baptist minister. I said, oh, well, fantastic. I wonder how that all goes together, you know. And he said, but I haven't spoken to my dad in two years. And I turned, I didn't, he didn't say I turned my back up. He said, I haven't gone to church for a long time. I said, this sounds like an opportunity for you. So I just started sharing scripture with him. He turns to me and he says, uh, God put you here in this seat, didn't he? And I said, oh, I said, uh, oh, oh, did you just figure that out? <laughs> it's fun serving the Lord. I got to tell you that the church is broken, okay? The church is broken. If you Google, why are Christians so? You know what it says? Why are Christians so? Just leave it open-ended and Google that. Why are Christians so mean, angry, narrow-minded, stupid. We're, I, we're happy, loving people. <laughs> people see us that way? Yeah, people see us that way. We've earned that distinction. I mean, we're real good at telling homosexuals you're going to hell. We're not real good at telling homosexuals, you know God loves you. You know, you end the conversation right away. I don't care who they are, what they've done. I don't care. I don't care. I, you know, you got your issues. I got mine. That's why he said Jesus. <laughs> you know? Come on. Come on. Let me give you some hard numbers right quick. I got a lot to tell you. Here's how bad the church is. We can, we can celebrate inside our Christian huddles and be so excited about what's going on. You get away from that and you see what's going on in the church today and you start understanding why America's in such a mess. All right. We're a godless society. Uh, our ministry, Revival Outside the Walls, and by the way, that TV show, Ignite Your Life, is on a lot of Christian television stations, and I interview people who are living their lives like this. They're, we don't have any role models. Probably what, sharing your faith. What does that look like? I got to get her down their knees and pray. They say, "I don't know. I'm not qualified. I don't know how to do that." You got all these excuses, and you find out if you just move everybody every day closer to Jesus, just love on them. You know, it's so easy. I'm going to be talking about that. That's really what I'm here to talk to you about today. How easy it is to share your faith every moment of every day. Move everybody every day. Closer to Jesus, but we're not doing that. So what's happened? The, because the world viewing us as they are, guess what? 30% of Americans now, 30% of our population never attend church. Never. Five years ago, that was 25%. That jumped 5% in five years. That's 15 million people who decided not to go, ever go to church again, okay? Another 30% of our population goes to church and they're like Christmas. You know what that term is? They go to Christmas and Easter. Okay? That's 60% of our population, or half our population, totally not in the church. Another 20% go occasionally when, they, when there's not a big game on or you know, they're not invited for a barbecue or something. And they'll go to just enough to kind of ease their conscience. That's 80% of our, of our population is unchurched. Folks, that's why we need revival outside the walls. We got to revive outside the walls. Okay. We got to go out and be salt and light. You know, we hear a lot of messages on salt and light. There's one characteristic that salt and life both share. They both change their environment. 
Salt changes the environment. Light changes the environment. The question is for each of us is, are we changing our environment or is our environment changing us? Okay? Easier question to answer. Is our church, is the church in America changing our environment or is the environment changing our church? And that's pretty obvious what's taking place there. This is serious stuff. But it gets worse. While 70% of America says they're Christian, only 20% go to church. Okay? 20%. But of the tw- it gets worse than that. Of the 20%, only half of those are saved. We're talking about 10% of our population, folks. And of that, of that 10%, <laughs> that's, our, that's our heroes. <laughs> They're getting divorced and taking all the pills. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, that's how bad we are. We're hanging on by a shoestring. But guess what? There are 30 million Christians still left. And we got critical mass. 86% of the unchurched, 86% of the unchurched in America have at least one person in their life right now that they trust who's a Christian. We are, we got all kinds of opportunities. We don't need to spend any money. We just need our current lights back on. We're sitting there. It's our, it's our fault. We get mad at all this stuff going on. They're lost. Politicians say abominable things. They're blinded. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers, and 90% of America is blinded. Why? Because they don't know. And how are they going to know unless somebody tells them? That's our job, okay? Ron Brown gave this statement years ago that I so love. He says, folks like our Teen Challenge, Greg, it's like we have a full fleet of F-16 fighters, and we just keep them on the ground, Okay? time for you guys to take off, okay? When you get out of here, I want you guys to soar, okay? This group, this group right here, believe it or not, this group right here can make a major impact in bringing America back. Just this group, not to count, Teen Challenge across, across the United States. It's, it is just crazy. It's just crazy. Here's a news flash. Going back, are you worrying? Okay. Do you know that worry and faith can't coexist? But do you hear me on that? Worry and faith cannot coexist. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Okay, now we're getting down to where the river starts again. So why are most Christians struggling in their faith? Why are they? Um, one of the reasons is because their prayers aren't being answered. Their prayers aren't being answered. They're praying like crazy. Sometimes we get in trouble. I mean, when you get in trouble, you pray more. But if you're praying, your prayers aren't answered, then you start wondering, is God there? Is he not there? You, you may not even want to recognize it or admit it, but like, I don't know. I'm praying. But then the more it doesn't get answered, the more you, you worry and you have all this. So what on earth is going on? It's explained real clearly in James 1. And you know the verse, scriptures. He says, hey, you ask, I'll give it to you. But what? Yeah. Don't waver. For if you waver, you're like a, what, a wave of the sea, driven by the wind, tossed. An unstable man is unstable. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, right? And there's this great line. Look at that again. Read it again today. Let not that person expect to receive anything from me. So most Christians are praying, but most Christians are, are worrying. So you either have wholehearted faith, okay, Wholehearted faith, unwavering faith, or there's no reason to have faith. Do you hear me? So I want to talk to you. How do you get to that place where there's no more worry? Anybody want to get to the place where you have no more worry at all? 
Yeah, you want to get there? Okay. A lot of you are already there. I want you all there by the time we finish here today. This is this is where the rubber meets the road, guys. <laughs> I, we need to be people where people we're believing people, but we're believing enough to get into heaven, but are we believing enough to, not to worry? Okay, to have victory every day. That's that's the key. And and I'm a car guy, okay? And there's a car guy term that everybody knows, you guys all know it. Pedal to the metal. Here, pedal that, right? Right. You know what that means. Hey, baby. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great feeling, you know. Uh, here's a term you probably don't know, never lifts. I, uh, I've, I've raced a few times, and uh, I can tell you, uh, the cars are usually pretty evenly matched. It's the driving skill that makes the difference, okay? And, and I found, uh, unfortunately, more than one occasion, when I lifted, I got passed. <laughs> you know what? So when you never lift, it's like the shake hands coming or the, the dip is coming or whatever in the road course. Do you have enough faith that you can make it through there without lifting? Okay, you understand that? You get the concept. As Christians, we should never lift. We don't have faith just in the good times, but when the call comes and I got stage four cancer, when the call comes and my wife is divorcing, when the call comes and my kids and I've been, I've, I've been bankrupt or whatever it is. I don't care. You don't lift. <laughs> you don't never lift, okay? There's a key phrase, never lift in your Christian life. So how do we do that? Anybody want to know? <laughs> I can tell you because that's kind of where I live. I've lived there for, I, you know, when you're my age and you seek God with your whole heart and you do it for decades, you go through all the riffraff and the and the things you heard that really aren't scriptural. And you try this, you try that, you throw this away. Pretty soon, when you get my age, I kind of got started getting it figured out, you know. So I want to share some of those thoughts with you. Um, it is uh, interesting, and unfortunately, uh, you know, when when he puts you to the test and you survive it. Um, he gives you a bigger test. <laughs> the reward is you get a bigger test. And if you're going through a really big problems, he must really trust you, right? Because he won't give you more than you can endure. If he gives you little problems, I, I was at that place one time. Actually, 40, 40, about 40, well, back in the 70s, I said, I don't know. God's not putting me to any tests. I guess he doesn't fear I can handle it. Whew, I had no idea what was ahead of me. I ended up in Monterey, and I was uh, California, and I was uh, <clears throat> giving up for dead. I had a virus attacking every organ in my body, and uh, and the doctor said we can't we can't stop. We we've done everything we can. We can't identify the virus, and um, we we can't we can't save him. All right. Um, our friends came in. They're weeping. Lots of prayer going on around us. There were two people that weren't really worried about it. One was Karen, <laughs> and one was me. <laughs> In fact, I said, you know, God, if, if I'm dying, then I'm going to die trying to lead as many people to the Lord as I possibly can. So I just look forward. Everybody came through that door. I'm going I'm to I'm have a conversation with them about God. When I got out of the hospital, and I did. <laughs> I, I made it. You know, I counted 23 doctors and nurses. Different doctors that I'd had serious conversations with about God. I couldn't wait for the next person. And I'd stop worrying about myself and start thinking about, my, you know, how I'm going to minister to them. It's just amazing how that works. I was being rushed down the hallway in a gurney, on a gurney, on my back, rushing me to surgery. Okay? If you can picture the scene. 
Thought you were you know the lights and the cans over the sea. And Nicole is running beside me, okay? And she's yelling, Dad. But she didn't say, Dad, it's gonna be okay. Dad, I'm praying for you. Dad, keep the faith. She didn't say any of that. You know what she said? <laughs> she said, Dad, this is your testimony. Woohoo! This is your testimony. At the point of death, this is your testimony. And you know, she jarred me for a minute. I never had that concept there. Now I said, hey, it is before I go into surgery. This is my testimony. I got the victory now. Praise God. I'm good. Nothing's wrong. You know, I got God before me. And then boom, we go through those doors and on into surgery. And, and I survived, you know, it's just it's amazing how that works. David Wilkerson preached so many great sermons that changed our lives. One of them was right song, wrong side. You can Google it. It's on YouTube. I suggest you do that. And listen to David Wilkerson and his voice. Oh, how I miss his voice. Right song, wrong side. You talk about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and they're all excited. They're heading out and following Moses until they get to that river. Whew. Now they're not so happy. And now the Egyptians are coming after them. And, and you read those scriptures, and they changed rather quickly, and now they're not happy with Moses at all or God, and they're just really unhappy. Until the staff goes to the water, the party get over the clothes, the water closes. What do they do on the other side? They build an altar, right? And then what they do? They sang, right? Dave Wilkins' message was, right song, <laughs> wrong side, wrong side. You sing before it knowing God. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. In the midst of the darkness, your light shines even brighter. So the bad times come, guys. It just, I mean, this is, don't waste the bad times. Just don't waste the bad times. You can't, you can't afford to do that. I've been there. I've got some stories I can tell you. I'll give you a cryptic version very quick of a, of a story. It's too long to tell right now, but um, I was inspired by God to go in the retail field, and I was, I, I, I couldn't get anywhere, and the retailer said, you got to go on TV, and we're doing about $13 million of business right then, and they wanted me to do a campaign that cost about $3 million. So somehow I talked the board into allowing me to do that, and uh, I had to uh, pay for the uh, ads in the, in the fall before we had any orders, and the orders come in the early part of the year for springtime, and they didn't come, and we lost money, and I am in big trouble with the, with the family and the board. One guy said, you know, Bank of America owns McGuire's now, and it's a bad idea and shouldn't have done it. But the retailers came to me, and they said, you know, um, I, I, I believe in you, but my vine committee, the vine committee, they don't believe. They said, if you go on TV this year, they'll put you in the next year, okay? So I kept praying about that, and, and I kept hearing God say, you got to do it again. So I went to the board. I, I look back and I just can't believe I had this, except that I just knew God was telling me. And it's this faith thing. And I, I, I talked to the board. My, half my family hated me and didn't want to be in retail, so they opposed me. But we had some outside board members. They finally said, if you could sell to the Bank of America. So I went to Bank of America with my family behind me. And they listened to me as I, I explained what I wanted to do. And the bank manager says, I got to be out of my mind, but I think you're going to pull this off. I'm with you. And in debt to Bank of America with no resources, just a dream, we went to market and we just, just rolled. I mean, we just, we wouldn't even be in business today had I not had that faith, okay? How did I have that kind of faith? 
Every one of you are going to come to those places where it's just impossible. Who are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to people around you. You're going to listen to God. Trust the Lord with your whole heart. Don't listen. Don't pay attention to what's going on here or what these counselors will tell you. Just follow God. I mean, that's that's the way it goes. This is not academic. This is real, folks. I'm talking about real life experience here. Okay, what I'm about to <laughs> what I'm about to share with you. What I'm about to share with you is a game changer. All right? This is a game changer. I mean, um, I've, I've been through the wars. <laughs> I've been there. I can tell you just a few of my stories. I can sit here all day long and tell you miracle stories. He is an awesome God. I can tell you whatever you face, and Satan's going to throw everything at you. Everything at you. He's going to throw it all out. <laughs> just count it all joy. Keep my truck and listen to God. Follow God. I mean, uh, when you have unwavering, wholehearted faith, it sets you free. I mean, it just literally sets you free. You're living in the fog. Okay, you want to know what the fog is? <laughs> it's the favor of God. You're living in the favor of God. You follow the nudge, and if you don't, it's sin, you know. But when you do, every time you fall, then you always thank you, God. Wow. What if I hadn't done that? What if I hadn't had that experience? What if I hadn't shared those things? What if I hadn't prayed for him? It could have changed their whole life. You used me. I pedal car wax. You just used me to change that person's life. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's just, it's just crazy. It sets you free. When you do that, you're living in the favor of God. Follow the nudge. Live in the fog, okay? <laughs> this is profound, I, I can't overemphasize enough. This is a profound message, but it's Bible 101. I mean, it's, it could not be more simple. It could not be more simple. I mean, it, it, the scriptures are replete all the way through the scriptures. It tells us to do this, and yet how often do you hear a message from the pulpit these days about go? You know, Ephesians 4.11 says, the role of the pastors equip the saints for ministry. All right, they're supposed to equip us. And how are we going to lose unless they send us? Nobody's sending us. No wonder nobody's going and telling the good news if we don't tell them they're lost. And that's where we are in the world today, okay? <laughs> but, and I've never heard the sermon on this. I've never heard, I just, just life experience. And I know it's true. Karen and I were flying to Manchester, New Hampshire, and, uh, Crazy things happen. We flew through Chicago, and you get flight delays when you fly through Chicago or Dallas a lot, and you almost have to expect it. This is a particularly long one. We didn't think we'd ever get on the plane. Once we got on the plane, we stayed. We were on the tarmac for an hour, a full hour of the tarmac. By the time we got into Manchester, New Hampshire, it was 1230 in the morning. We were the last plane in, and we get to the baggage claim, and all the bags come off except ours. <laughs> we just laugh, you know. Finally, the last two bags. You ever have that where your bag's the very last play bag that comes off? Well, our two bags came off together for a change. Last two bags. Well, by that time, everybody cleared out. There's nobody else in the baggage claim area. And Karen says, the car is waiting for us outside, right? We organize cars, pick us up so it saves the hassle at our age. And we walk out, and there's no car. Oops. <laughs> so I called him back home and I said, well, um, we've been trying to reach that driver for two hours. They're not answering their phone. We're really sorry. I said, oh, that's great. About that time, uh, the announcement made, the airport is now closed. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. We look back. The airport, the lights are off. The doors are locked. 
And all of a sudden, we looked out and saw there's not one thing moving. There's not one car, not one person. I took a picture of it. I got this great picture. I walked across the street, this big swooping four-lane street with this great big terminal. And Karen's sitting there with our bags. I got this a classic picture. And we just laughed because, I mean, just when things happen, we say, well, God's gone through a lot of work to get us in this situation. You know, this should be interesting. So they caught a guy that uh, was up in Boston. He had taken a ride up, uh, a ride up to Boston. He was deadheading, what they called deadheading back, nobody in the car. And he lived in Manchester, and they got a hold of him, so he came by. So he picks us up, and he's, he's driving off and trying to get the lay of the land of what we were doing. He says, well, what was going through your mind? <laughs> you really want to know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're thinking, God, you kept us in that airport a long time. You kept us in that tarmac. You kept our bags. You've gone to a lot of work to put a situation. There must be somebody you want us to talk to about the Lord tonight. And he says, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> what? He says, oh, the last couple of weeks, I just, everything's going wrong. I'm thinking, I need God. I need to talk to somebody. Is there a God that can solve these problems? He, he, was, he was teed up and ready, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so we shared scripture with him for the next hour to our hotel. We got out. We gathered together around the three of us. We're, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. We're praying together. We're all weeping, you know. And he's, I'm going to church, I promise you. <laughs> you know, we got nothing with some scripture. I mean, it's so much fun. It's our number one task. All the way back to Jeremiah, you know, he says, I placed you in your mother's womb. You know, it actually says, before I placed you in your mother's womb, I set you apart to be my spokesman. It doesn't get much earlier than that, right? It just doesn't. It is the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission is go in the world and pray. Uh, don't think so. <laughs> go in the world and read the Bible. Um, go in the world and be a good person. Actions speak louder than words. Uh, no. <laughs> go in the world and share. And proclaim for from Genesis to Revelation, that message comes over and over and over. This, if we're a Christian, that's what our calling is. Okay, the letter of the church of Ephesus in Revelation, you know it. Karen, I've been to all seven churches in in Turkey, and and this one in particular with Bible scholars, and this one particularly stood out because he's talking to, he's talking to the church, talking to us as, as Christians. But in this one in particular, he says, "I know your faithfulness." I know you're in church. I mean, my words, every, every time the doors are open, you're there. You're giving sacrifice of your time and your resources. And you know good teaching for bad. But I have this against you. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. And you're no longer doing the first work. Okay. I think you know what first love is. I got to tell you, for decades, I told God I loved him. And I said it earnestly. I meant it. But if you really love me, you're going to share him. <laughs> I got to tell you, if you love the hamburger you had last night, you're probably going to tell somebody today about that hamburger. You know what? You can't really love God without sharing God. You can't do it. It's just not possible. So the two always go together. Throughout Scripture, you'll see it always, always, always. They go together. And the first work, what's the first work? Ever, ever heard a message on the first work? What's the first thing you do when you get saved? You tell somebody about it, Right? I was blind, and now I see, right? Oh, my goodness. So it, that's the first work. Uh, so that the great commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Um, that means to be as concerned for their salvation as you are for your own. I mean, really, I mean, when you get down to it. And, and why is it that if you do those two, you will satisfy all the rest? You ever thought about that? Do these two. The whole law hangs on that. I hate legalism. I got to do this. I can't do this. I got to do this. <laughs> if, if, you're, if your message, if your task is to lead everybody to the Lord, to, their salvation is important as yours, you're going to live differently. Your language, your countenance, your, your food, everything you do is different. It's completely different. You're doing everything to bring glory to God, and that's, that's the way our life should be. Jesus said, I sanctify myself not for my Father, but for them that they may sanctify themselves. We're doing it for them, okay? It's about them. It's about the world. People are surrounded by people that are lost. And, and it's so easy to come against those people and have bad feelings. Even now, people have hurt you. You're thinking about people that are going to come against you possibly when you get out of here and the obstacles and all that. God loves the worst people in your life as much as they love you. He loves you. He loves us all the same. And your job is to move them closer to Jesus. And you know what? When, when they hate you and when they do mean things to you and they do stupid things and they're causing you grief, it's even more fun. <laughs> you know, it's like heaving piles of coal, right? You just come back and, and they can't believe it. I've had some of you who do bad things to me and I just love them anyway. They can't figure me out. Why, why am I loving on them when they're treating me so badly? And you know what? I don't care if I get the sale. I don't care if I get it done. That's not what life's all about. My life is about moving them closer to Jesus, right? When we get to 100 years from now, folks, listen to me. 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is how many people are in heaven because of your influence, okay? You're in full-time ministry. Well, every Christian is a witness, okay? Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians who are witness for the prosecution. I don't want what they got. Okay? True. We're all in full-time ministry. We're all, and everything you day, do and say, everything, every moment of every day, everything you do and say is moving people closer or further away from God. And 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is how many people are in heaven or not in heaven because of your influence. That's the only thing that matters. All right? You got all these questions, and I'll, I'll wrap it up. You have all these questions. You know, where am I going to get a job? Or how am I going to be received? Or, you know, how am I going to support myself? Or you got all these questions. You're going to worry about all these things. They're not important. <laughs> it comes down to Romans 8.28. Okay, it's mentioned in the beginning. What does he say? I promise you everything, everything, not most things, some things. I promise you everything in your life will work together for good from this moment on. I promise you everything, the bad stuff, the cancer, the time to the hospital, the close to the debate, I don't care what it is. I'll make everything work together for good if you do two things. We're real good at quoting the first part of the verse and we stop there. And a lot of Christians are losing their faith because I thought you're going to make everything good and it's not good, God. It's not good. You're not there. You're not answering prayers. I'm losing my faith. We have to take the whole gospel. God's love is not provisional. It's unconditional. He loves us all the same, right? But his promise to you is conditional. Hear me on this. His promises are conditional. I'll give you eternal life. But you got to recognize you're a sinner. And Jesus Christ died for you. And you need to accept my gift. It's a condition, right? 
He's saying the same thing here. He says, I promise you, everything in your life will work together for good. Everything, absolutely everything. But you got to do two things. Back to first love, right? You got to love me, and then what? If you're trying to find your purpose, stop trying to find your purpose. You're not, you don't have a special purpose. God doesn't have a purpose for you and a purpose for me and a purpose for itself. That would be cross purposes. He'll make everything in your life work together for good if you love him and you live for his purpose. His purpose. What's his purpose? His purpose. No arguing about it. His purpose is to seek and save the lost. Okay? That's it. When you live for that, when you come out of Teen Challenge, you're going to get doors slapped in your face. You're going to turn down on jobs. You're going to get, you know, for love life or whatever. You're going to have all kinds of things happen to you. Count it all joy. And when the bad things happen, just go on through it. And you know when you're doing that, you live in the fog. You're going to live in the favor of God. And I don't care if it goes for a month or a year. I went through a two-and-a-half-year period, and I just kept working. And then it came like a flood. Oh, my goodness. It's God's timing. Don't ever lose your joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. I tell you what. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. But Satan's going to try and attack you. And you went overcoming. How do you overcoming? I can tell you right quick. By the blood of the lamb, right? Ah, <laughs> yeah, you're way ahead of me. By the blood of the lamb and the what? And the word of your testimony. Okay, that's what it's all about, folks. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how many bottles of car wax I sold or how many little ladies I helped across the street or being a good person or giving to this or going to that. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is how many people are in heaven when I get there. How many, how many people will be in heaven because of my influence? Nothing else matters. I mean, you focus on that from this moment forward and you just the salvation, you step into it instantaneously. You step into the favor of God instantaneously. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, This truth will set you free, okay? It will set you free. So much more I can say about it. I just going to leave by the, with this, this thought. <laughs> Scriptures are consistent. I mean, challenge me on it. There isn't any message in the Bible more clear than this. Return to your first love. Repent. Return back to your first love. Do the first work. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Be as concerned for their salvation as you are your own. Love me and live for my purpose to seek and save the lost. And then you're living, then everything in your life will work together for good. You're living in the fog. Does it get any better than that? If you love God and do the first work, you love your neighbors yourself, you live your life to seek and save the lost, you live your life to move everyone every day closer to Jesus, you're living in the favor of God. Wow. That's the promise in Romans 8, 28. Okay, that's the promise. That's it. And um, <laughs> last scripture I'll give you. You want to keep faith? Isaiah 43.10 has a wonderful thing. Do you know that scripture? Thus saith the Lord, I have appointed you as my witness. Why? I have appointed my witness so that you will believe. So that you will believe. You'd think he'd say, I have appointed you as my witness so that they would believe. I'm convinced he's, he's the most important thing he's given us to do is share our faith, secondarily to win the last and primarily to win us. You want to know why I got to bounce to my step at 75 years old? I'm doing it every day. 
And when you're doing it, let me tell you, you're in the Word. Nobody has to tell you to be in the Word. You can't wait to get in the Word. Every day, you, you're digging for more information, and you're praying. You're praying the view you met today and the view you meet tomorrow. And when you speak, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and gives you things you didn't even know you knew. And you grow. You're in the game. It's an adventure. It is the most important. You're living in the favor of God, knowing everything in your life is worth it. Nothing. I, I, nothing can stop me. Nothing can hurt me unless God wants it to for his glory. So, I mean, we got her made. This is incredible. You got it? You got it? So much more I want to say. <laughs> and it's especially when your bad things are happening. This is what Christianity is all about. And you have this great advantage. You're trained. Most Christians say, I don't have enough information. Do you know how privileged you are to spend a year in the tutelage of Teen Challenge and know the Word of God? You understand how privileged you are? I, I'm jealous. You guys get to do that. But if you don't use it, you lose it. And a year from now, you'll start wondering, what was that scripture? I kind of remember it, you know, how to keep it alive. Use it every day. Move everybody closer to Jesus. That's the key. That's why he said, when you share your faith, then you will believe. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you haven't already, subscribe today on your mobile device to get exclusive new content from Teen Challenge of Southern California. For more information, visit us on the web at teenchallenge.org.